Luke chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 in our study through Luke. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 13 and 14 from last week, and then we'll look at 15 through 17 today. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Father, we come before you today. We just, Lord, I just ask you to help, Lord. Lord, give your people um, just ears to hear your word. I pray that your spirit, God, would help me to communicate your word and that he would minister to each one of us to receive your word. Lord, not just to hear it, but to receive it and obey it. Father, we thank you. We pray that Christ will be glorified today. Amen. So the title of the message is The Greatness of John the Baptist. Um, And I would just kind of ask you, just starting out, would you like to be considered great in the eyes of God? I think every Christian would, in God's eyes. So that's really what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at the greatness of John the Baptist. Now what comes, what comes to mind when you think of the word great? Or uh, maybe a better question to ask is, what comes to mind when you think of the world's definition of great? When we think of how the world defines great, it usually, it usually has to do with things like the rich, right? The rich, the wealthy, are considered great by many. Uh, those who are very influential may be considered great in the eyes of the world. You know, even the uh, physically attractive in many times are, are considered great on the front of magazines and these type of things. The, the powerful, right? The strong, the mighty. These are the things that the world defines as great many times. Being, just being recognized by the world, by others. Uh, being beautiful physically. With others, it's being brilliant or intelligent. These are all of these, and a combination of these, are what is what the world defines as being great. And you know what all these things have in common, guys? All of these are temporal. Every single one of these is temporal. You can have the best looks, but they're going to fade physically. You can have all the money in the world, but riches will not profit you in the day of wrath, but only righteousness will. Everybody who's physically strong eventually is going to get weak. I love, the, I love the words of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9, verse 23. He says this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. And that's what the world does. That's what the wise in this world do. Those who are wiser in their own eyes, there's a boasting. The prophet says, let not, don't do that. He says, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Is that not the world, what the world does? Those who are mighty and strong, powerful, 
The prophet says, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. This is a description of what the world does. But Jeremiah says, no. Let him who boasts, boast in this. This one thing. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. That is what true, the only thing truly to boast in is that we know God through Christ. That's greatness in the eyes of God. You know, if the world would just recognize that everything they have, beloved, and that's obviously true for us, everything we have comes from God's hands. The ability to earn wealth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says that very thing, that, that, that to remember that, not, not to boast because all that we have has been given to us from God. Why do we boast? As if we've somehow accomplished it. It's all been provided by God. And this is to you ladies specifically. Just a reminder along the same lines, Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Talking about outward physical beauty. But the woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Just understand this, ladies. That physical beauty is one thing. Some people may have more of it than others, but it's going to fade. It's going to fade just like the leaf and the grass. But a, but a, a woman who fears the Lord is great in God's eyes. So we're going to talk about what it means to be great in God's sight today. We're going to look at really one of my favorite characters in the Bible, John the Baptist. And the truth I would like you to take home today with you, because you're not going to remember everything that's said in a sermon, but the truth that I would like for you to take with you is on the top of your bulletin on the back, and it's this, greatness in God's eyes is to be a humble servant who points others to Christ. If you want to know what being great in God's eyes, it's that right there, that summary statement, and that's what we're going to see today. Greatness in God's eyes is to be a humble servant who points others to Christ. So we're going to look at John, a little bit about John the Baptist today, and hopefully glean from his life and his ministry. And so the question that's on the back of your bulletin before the three points is, what made John so great? And that's what we're going to look at today. What made John the Baptist so great? And so really to begin to answer this, we're going to look at a few other texts first before we, before we jump in to verse 15. So the first question I want to ask, just by way of introduction, is, is who is the type of person that God exalts that we see in the Scriptures? Who is the type of person that God exalts? And so we already, we already looked at really what the world thinks about this. You know, who the world exalts. The, the, the mighty, the rich, the strong, the wealthy, the beautiful. And so we're going to look at the type of person that God exalts. John tells us in 1 John 2.16, just a reminder kind of along these lines, to, to, to not love the world or the things in the world. And one of the things that he mentions that's of the world is the boastful pride of life. And so really that's what all this is. The world and, and the boasting and the arrogance. He says it's of the world, it's not of the Father. But look at, uh, if you just flip over in your Bibles to the left, a few pages at Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 35 real quickly. And we're going to get just a, a real quick picture of the kind of person 
<clears throat> that God exalts, that, it, that, is, that is great in God's eyes. Before we even get into the text, Mark 9, 30-35. This is uh, the disciples with Christ. And it says, From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and He did not want anyone to know about it. For He was teaching His disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And when He has been killed, He will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask Him. They came to Capernaum, and when He was in the house, He began to question them. So they were walking along the road. And so he asked, he said, what were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. They had these kind of conversations a lot. Like, which one's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And um, Jesus says this in verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And so, they were having this discussion amongst themselves of who's going to be the greatest. And you notice when Jesus asked what they were discussing, they kept silent. They were embarrassed to even answer. They were embarrassed to even answer because here they are, really just very carnal thoughts amongst these disciples. Who among us is going to be the greatest? And what does Jesus basically say? If you want to be great, take the role of a servant. That's backwards in this world, is it not? Does the world say, hey, man... Stoop low, be a servant, and you'll be great. No, it's exactly the opposite. But that's what Jesus says. That's what He says in verse 35. If you want to be first, if anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. I mean, just think who Christ is, right? The Lord of glory. The Creator of the universe. King of kings and Lord of lords. And what did He say He came to do? Not to be served, but to serve. Give His life as a ransom. And we're to follow in His steps. We know that in God's Word it says He exalts the humble. Does He not? Those who, those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled and those who humble themselves, God will exalt. Both in this life and even more so in the next. James, James tells us, chapter 4 in the book of James, that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. You guys see this in the, in the text. God exalts those who are humble, who are willing to be servants. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that you and I are a part of. When we come into the kingdom, through conversion, being made poor in spirit, we're to be, we're to be those who seek to be servants. Not kings to be served. And so, that's what we're going to see in this first point. That John was a humble man. The first thing we're going to see that, that made John so great in God's eyes... Because if you notice the text there in verse 15, the angel, the angel's telling Zacharias, hey, you're gonna, you, you, your prayer's been heard. Elizabeth's going to give birth to a son. He'll be, and in verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So first thing we're going to see uh, that made John so great was that he was a humble man. And this is what I said. We're going to look at another, another text to kind of to kind of see this about John. In John chapter 3. Turn over to John chapter 3. There's different accounts in the Gospels where we get a glimpse of, of this man, John the Baptist. So in John chapter 3, we can see a little bit of his, of his humility. In John 3, 25-30. John 3, 25-30. 
So the verses right above that, um, John, John had been baptizing out in the wilderness along the Jordan. And then in verse 25, um, yeah, 25 through 30. Therefore, it arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jews about purification. And they, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, talking about Christ, to whom, to whom you testified, behold, he is baptized and all are coming to him. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of Him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. We can see just a few things in this in this text, real briefly. You know, they came to him and they said, Hey, the one whom you testified, he, hey, they're all coming to him. He's baptizing. And what does John say in verse 27? That, that statement, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You know what he's saying there, guys? He is recognizing the sovereignty of God and saying, The only reason I have any type of ministry is because it's been given to me by God. He's recognizing his place. The only only good I do is because God has given it to me. That's what he's recognizing. We see him recognizing his own position. And and then in verse 28, he says, I'm not the Christ. I've just simply been sent ahead of him. I am a messenger, that's all I am. Don't look at me, John's saying. Don't look at me. Look at him. In verse 29, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. That's all I am. And, and, and I rejoice when I hear His voice. That's what a humble man does, brothers and sisters. Guys, it's not about us. It's about look to Christ. That's what we see John doing. Right, right off in these texts, you see his humility. John was not about exalting himself. Is that not... Um, is that not just a... Uh, that's, a, that's an ugly thing when we exalt ourselves. Is it not? You know, when you're around somebody, we can even be that person. It's ministry. The Christian life is not about pointing others to us. No, it's pointing others to Christ. We see John, we see John doing that. He, what John's doing, John is rejoicing because he's like, I'm getting out of the way now. My role's done. The Lamb of God is here. And then those last words, very, very short, but very uh, dear verse in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That needs to be the attitude of our hearts, guys. Oh, that Christ would increase, Lord. Make it not about me. Help me not to get away or get in the way. Guys, that's my prayer every time I stand up here is, Lord, please help me not to get in the way. Okay? Don't look to me, guys. I'm just a messenger. And, and, and that's all of us. When we go and, we, and we, we teach others and we share others with others the truth of God's work, we're just simply messengers. We're not to have people look at us. Oh yeah, I mean, they may see Christ in us. Praise God for that. But it's not about us. And that, that's what we see 
John. He wasn't exalted himself. So right off, we see just, and there's other places we could look as well, but we see just the humility in this man, John the Baptist. So beloved, you will never be great in God's eyes, okay? Just recognize this. You will never be great in God's eyes apart from humility. Okay, None of us will ever be great in God's eyes. We're not to care what the world thinks in that regard. Being great in, in the eyes of the world, but in God's economy, you will never be great apart from humility. Again, the abilities that we do have, okay, and, and there's many different talents and gifts in this room. All the abilities that you have are, have been given to you by God. So why do we boast if they've not been given? They have been given. God has given your, your abilities. The word humility in the, uh, in the Webster's Dictionary of 1828, it says this. The reason I love that dictionary is that he gives a lot of... Um, it's Christian-based. And he, gives, he says this, in, in the realm of theology, this word humility consists, this is his definition, humility consists of lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. A deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. Is that not beautiful? That's what should describe our lives as believers. We recognize how lowly we are. That's how we come into the kingdom of God. Right? We're made poor in spirit and we realize we have nothing to offer God. God be merciful to me, the sinner. It's a deep sense of our own unworthiness in the sight of God. It's a self-abasement. It's a, a penitence for sin, a repentant, a repentant heart and a submission to His divine will. Does that, I mean, that sounds like Christ, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So we see... We see this humility in John's life, guys, and it's no different for us. If we want to be great in God's eyes, we need to be those who are humble. That needs to describe us, characterize us. See, John the Baptist understood his place. He understood that it's only because of God that I have this ministry. And we're going to see in, in just a little while that it's really the greatest ministry that's ever been given to a man to walk this earth. That's one of the areas, that's what makes him great is the very role that he had in redemptive history. But John understands. It's nothing in me. God gave it to me. He understands that he's an unworthy servant of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You and I need to understand this. Is that true of you? Do you seek, do you seek to be great in the eyes of men? In the eyes of those around you? Or do you seek to be great in the eyes of God? You see, it's an amazing thing with the apostles. They were, they were apostles. This was the twelve that asked him that question. And they, but that wasn't enough. They, 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 they weren't thinking correctly and, and wanting to know which one's going to be greatest, Lord. He had to correct them many times. And so it's not about being the greatest, guys. It's not about being the greatest of men. You know, being, a, being in ministry... That's one of the things that really, I think the longer I do it, just in any type of ministry, but even in pastoral ministry, and just, and just being around that kind of circle, that one of the greatest, or one of the questions that, that, I, that I'm really growing to not like more and more is when I hear guys talk about who's the greatest preacher, or who's, and it's just like, guys, it's not a competition. 
None of us are great. Nobody's great as far as... I mean, yes, God has gifted certain men. I get that. He's raised, elevated certain men. But it's almost it's just like a competition. It's not about that. And John recognized that. So, beloved, can you, can you be content, okay? Can you be content? Can you and I be content with serving the Lord, right? Serving the Lord, serving others, and nobody knowing about it. That's really the test of humility. Now that's not saying, hear me, that's not saying that if your ministry is in the public that there's anything wrong with that. John the Baptist, his ministry was obviously in the public. Jesus was in the public. But what is our motive? What is our motivation? Is it to be the greatest? Is it to have a following? Is it to say, look at me? Or is it to say, look to Him? I mean, obviously... There are certain ministries that are public, right? Pastoral ministry is public. We, 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 we try to we put our sermons on sermon audio, this little bitty church. Why? Because I think I'm something great? It's because it's a way that's very cheap that you can get the Word of God out for people who, who knows who will listen. Who knows? To say, there's a Savior if, if, if you don't know Him, there's a Savior that we want to tell you about. You know, I battled that being in, being in outdoor preaching for 13 years and, 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 and just wrestling with the whole idea of video because I don't want it to be about me. So that all comes down to motive. The motive is there's so much garbage on social media, why not put the Gospel on social media? It encourages other Christians. It gets the gospel out for people who may not ever hear it or see it. But maybe they're curious. The whole, I, the whole point is this, guys. What is our motive? John's motive was not exalting himself. It was look to Christ, the Lamb of God, and that needs to be ours. So to be great, beloved, first of all, that we see in John's life that's that's the same with you and I, to be great in God's sight is to be humble. Okay? Let God exalt you. Don't exalt yourself. Let God exalt you. If God wants to raise somebody up and give them a platform, let Him do it. Don't try to do it yourself. Okay? So the first thing we see about John, he was a great, John was great in the sight of God because he was a very humble man. And so, secondly, we're going to see in verse 15b, in that same verse, we're going to see that John was controlled by the, by the Spirit. John was controlled by the Spirit. It says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Okay, uh, the NAS, which I'm reading out of, it says, He will, he will um, drink no wine or liquor. Yours may say wine, strong drink, strong wine. Uh, we're not going to stay here long, guys. I think, I think most of you guys understand, maybe, maybe not all of you, but the Bible uh, does not say drinking wine is sinful. The Bible forbids drunkenness, okay? That's what we see here. Drunkenness is sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 makes it very clear that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it does not, bid, it does not forbid just drinking alcohol. Drunkenness is what the Bible forbids. But what is this saying here? 
That he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. This could be a couple different things. It may be a, a Nazarite vow. Okay? A Nazarite vow. That was one of the uh, parts of the vow that they would, they would refrain from wine or strong drink. They would not, they would not uh, cut their hair. So it could be some kind of Nazarite vow. It doesn't say. It could be, it's also a requirement of a priest in Leviticus 10.9. Could have been either one of them. But the text doesn't say. It may be just some kind of ascetic habit that John the Baptist had in his commitment and focus on the Lord. But what it does say, it says he will be, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, guys. I think we cannot go any further until we see right here in front of us the doctrine of election. It's right here. Right here in front of us. This man being filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. We can see a couple other places in Scripture where we see this. Uh, similar language. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The Lord says, Before I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That means I set you apart before you were ever born. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. When did he do this? Before he was in the womb. God is sovereign. That's what we see here. Very similar language to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16. He says this, But when God who had set me apart, there's that same phrase, consecrated me, set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. First of all, we remember who Saul was, right? The first part of his life. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee. He hated Christ. He hated the church. But he's looking back now, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, God, He set me apart even from my mother's womb. That although he lived a large part of his life as a persecutor of the church, God set him apart in his mother's womb and then called, he says, he called me by his grace. And we see that. When he was on his road to Damascus, God called him. That's when he called him to himself. Opened his blind eyes. But it all took place in God's choice before his birth. Actually, before the foundation of the world. And it says, He was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. So we simply see the uh, divine election here in this verse. And so, beloved, what we're seeing here in Luke is we see what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that a man, a man cannot see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That's what we see here. We see the Spirit blowing where it wishes. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit moves and blows where it wishes. By God's sovereignty. It's like, he said it's like the wind. You can't see the wind when it's blowing, but we see the results of the wind. And, the, and so the Spirit moves, Jesus said, as He wishes. And that's what we see here. Sometimes the Spirit moves upon a person towards the end of their life. We think of the thief on the cross. This man has lived a wretched life, blaspheming God. There were two thieves on the cross, right? Christ is in the middle, one on each side, and they were both blaspheming Him on the cross. And then something happened. All of a sudden, one of them looks at Him and said, Lord, 
Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What happened to that guy? The Holy Spirit moved. Just like Jesus was saying. Moved upon. The grace of God fell upon the guy. And he was converted right there before it just literally moments, hours before his death. And so we see in this text today that the Spirit of God moving on somebody in the womb. John the Baptist. Now what we see here, guys, is John the Baptist being converted in his mother's womb. Now that's not a norm. That's not a normal thing. But I hope you don't think that that's a problem for God to do. That's no problem at all for God to do. And that's what we see here. It says he's filled with the, he is filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He's filled. What does that, what does that phrase mean? He's filled. That means he's, he's under the power and the grace of the Spirit. Under the control of, guided by, illumined by, set apart. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's got two aspects. There's an initial filling or indwelling at conversion. But then we as Christians, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's to us as Christians. So that means we are to live under the influence, under the control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, like this is described in John. Not only was He filled in the, with the Spirit before, uh, in His mother's womb, while yet in His mother's womb, but we see it even in His lifestyle, abstaining from certain lifestyles. That's all a result of Him being filled with the Spirit. He's being controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit in His life. And so you and I are to be controlled by the Spirit of God as well. What does that look like practically, guys? You know, that's not something mystical. Being filled with the Spirit is, a, is something that should describe a normal Christian. And you know what it is? We are filled with the Spirit by letting God's Word control us. By being in God's Word and, and conforming our life to God's Word. That's how a man is filled with the Spirit. In both Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, but both times when it says to be filled with the Spirit, there's an emphasis on, especially in Colossians, Letting the Word of Christ dwell in you. Who's the author of the Word, right? The Holy Spirit. So when we are letting the Word guide and direct our lives, we are being filled with the Spirit. It's a, it's a normal thing for a Christian to be filled with the Spirit, okay? So don't think it's something weird. It's letting God's Word control us. We allow the Word of God to guide and direct our lives. That's being filled with the Spirit, okay? That's all it is. And like I said, there's an initial filling or indwelling that happens at the moment of our conversion. A man is filled with the Spirit. But then we're commanded to, to, to walk in the Spirit and to continue to be filled in, with the Spirit because we're like leaky vessels. Okay? And we need to be, continue, continue to be in the Word of God and follow Christ. But that's what we see in John that he was, he was filled with the Spirit while yet in the mother's womb, but he was, his life was controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what made him such a holy man of God. Because his life was controlled, influenced by the Spirit of God. What controls your life? What controls your life? What influences your life? What has the most influence in your decision making? You'll be able to, you'll be able to see what you're filled by. Is it Fox News? 
Some people, I think, I think some Christians are filled with Fox News. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Fox News. Maybe another news channel. That's not even, that's worse. But I'm just saying, what is it that influences our thinking? Is it, is it Hollywood? Is it, is it social media and all the myriads of things that can come? Good and bad. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's the chat in the break room. Maybe that's what influences you on your decision making. Maybe, maybe it's the gossip of other people. You see, all these things. What, is, what are we filled with? We're to be filled with the Spirit, guys. That's what's to drive us and, and guide our lives. And that's what's going to produce a holy life. Paul says if you want to abstain from the flesh, be filled with the Spirit in Galatians 5. So abstaining from alcohol, beloved, is not what made John the Baptist great. Because I think there's some people who think, man, I, I gave up drinking. You know, I gave, gave up drinking. I'm, God's proud of me. That's not what we see here, guys. The, what made him great was he was being controlled by the Spirit of God. And being controlled by the Spirit of God is what made him humble. It's all tied together. Galatians 5.23, that is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. John was great, beloved. Kind of what we've seen up to this point. John was great because he was set apart for Christ, first of all, in his mother's womb. He was reconciled to God. And as a result, he was a humble man whose life was governed because he was being guided by the, by the Holy Spirit, by a love for God. You knew he was a man of the Scriptures. He was governed by a love for God, being led by the Spirit of God. That's what made him great. So we see John was a humble man, and John was controlled by the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, and then lastly, our third point is John pointed others to Christ. That's what, that's what made him great. He was a humble man. He was controlled by the Spirit. And John pointed others to Christ. We'll see that in verse 16 and 17. We're going to see in verse 16 and even more so in verse 17 the greatness of his ministry. His ministry. It was really like no other. Verse 16, And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Just this, this whole idea of turning. He will, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, beloved. Now, we've already seen that conversion, it, that's God's work. God does the converting and, and saving. It's God's work. Salvation is of the Lord. But John was an instrument. Just like you and I can be instruments. John was an instrument. He was a faithful messenger of God. That's what John was. To turn people back to the Lord. You know what he preached, guys? And you can see it in the Gospels. He preached a message of repentance. Amen, Kelly? He preached a message of repentance. That was an emphasis in his message, guys. And you and I can learn much. We have a very similar role. What did Paul say? We preach repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can learn much about his ministry that we'll actually look at here in a little, a little later. But in verse 17, we're going to see more specifically the greatness of his ministry. The greatness of his ministry, of his, of his calling. 
Now this office, you could say. Verse 17. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So a couple of Old Testament passages, guys. We looked at it earlier in our Scripture reading, but listen to this language in Malachi 4. You can definitely see where the, where the angel is making this statement in verse 17. He's getting it from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And also in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. So obviously, it's not very difficult to see who this is referring to. John the Baptist. And don't you know, guys, that Zacharias' dad knew these Scriptures in the Old Testament? And he's saying, Wow, my son's going to fulfill this. Wow. But let's, let's answer a question, guys. It says, He will go as a forerunner before Him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So what's the Elijah? Yes and no. Or I'll say no and yes. Literally, no, He was not. John chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. The Jews were talking to John the Baptist. And He said this to them. He said, I am not the Christ. They asked Him, what then? Are you Elijah? And He said, I am not. Pretty clear, right? He <laughs> He was, not, he was not Elijah. But figuratively, yes. Figuratively, yes. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 10, 12, and 13, His disciples asked Him, this is uh, Christ, His disciples asked Him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? In verse 10, verse 12, Jesus said, Elijah has already come. And then in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he, he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So he was a type of Elijah. He was very similar. It says he came, what does the text say? He came in the spirit and power. He was very similar to Elijah. But he was not like Elijah reincarnated or anything weird like that. But he had a similar type of ministry. Like Elijah, John preached a message of repentance to the people. Elijah preached a message of repentance to the people. They were both very bold, very bold, very zealous, very similar in dress. You could say Elijah dressed like John the Baptist, but it's actually just John the Baptist dressed very similar to Elijah. And you know what they also did? They both boldly preached to ungodly leaders of their day. If you remember, Elijah preached to wicked King Ahab and Jezebel. And then John the Baptist to Herod and Herodias, which eventually led him to having his head chopped off. Not great in the eyes of the world, but great in the eyes of God for warning Herod against his sexual sin. He got his head chopped off. But what was it John was preaching here? So he's not Elijah, but he was like Elijah, came in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. Guys, this is very simple. Don't let all that language confuse you. This is just simply a message of reconciliation. Turning the 
the hearts of the fathers back to the children and vice versa, the old to the young, the young to the old, bringing reconciliation. The disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. That is speaking about conversion. This John the Baptist came to point to way, the way to Christ. Okay, this is a... This is a his, his message was that of preparing them to be reconciled to God. When, when people are reconciled to God, many times, not always, there's reconciliation in relationships. Now that's not a contradiction of Matthew 10 that says sometimes conversion brings division. But many times it does bring reconciliation. This is all pointing to Christ's work on the cross. John is preparing the people for the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. To bring, to bring peace between sinful man and holy God. To be, he, he's speaking of the one and only mediator. That's what his ministry was. Preparing people for the Messiah. We see this, guys. Part of his greatness was because this was the. We see the greatest office ever given to a man, and this same man was rejected by the world. Think about the man that God gave this role to. He was a man who ate bugs and lived in the woods. And God says, this is the greatest man born among women. Not in the eyes of the world. Get this creep out of here. Can you imagine if he walked in our church? You can't always tell by outer appearance, guys. I would say most of the time you can't tell. So, but what was he, guys? This rough, rugged, locust and honey diet. Lived in the wilderness. He was a man set apart by God to usher in the Messiah. Flip over to Luke 7, 27, 28. We'll get, we'll get a glimpse of that real quick and explain what it means, guys. It's another, maybe one of those phrases that you've wondered, what exactly does that mean? And of course, we'll dig into it deeper when we get there. Luke 7, 27, and 28. Jesus speaking. This is the one about whom it is written. Quote from the Old Testament, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Wow, what a statement. But then look at the very next phrase. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So it's like, which is it? Is he the greatest or is he not? Well, part of that greatness that, we're, that we see in, this, in, in Luke 1, His greatness. Obviously, He's a humble man. He's filled with the Spirit. But this text in Luke 7, 27 and 28 kind of give, kind of give it some balance. And really just looking at His whole life, not only His character, but His ministry. What is, what is meant by this phrase? Let me, let me get back over there real quick. What is meant by this phrase... In verse 28, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Guys, it's very simple. Who are, born, who, who are those born of women? Well, those who are born in this world, right? In this life, on earth. And Jesus is simply saying, those who are born of women, who walk the face of this earth, in other words, John the Baptist, 
the ministry that he has been given, he is the most privileged man of all. His ministry is such a glorious ministry. The long-awaited Messiah has been, this man has been given, like he said earlier, nothing's been given except that which has been granted to him. And John understands that he has been given this role to announce the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's what it means in this text. That He is the greatest of those born among women. And in that next phrase, but yet, He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than He. What does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven? Those who are born again. Those who are born again. Those who have been made poor in the Spirit, like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, how does a person enter the kingdom of God? They're made poor in spirit. How are you made poor in spirit? You recognize that you are sinfully bankrupt. Right? You're sinfully bankrupt. You, you, you're spiritually bankrupt. Sorry. You're spiritually bankrupt and you have nothing to offer a holy God except your sin, which is, deserves condemnation. But by the grace of God, He saves guilty sinners. And so when a sinner recognizes that, that they are lost, that they are doomed, that they are on their way to hell without Christ, and they humble themselves and are willing to repent and to believe upon Christ alone for salvation, they enter the kingdom of God. They're born again. And, and simply what Jesus is saying is, no matter what great privilege of ministry a man has on this earth, it's a greater thing to be born again and enter the kingdom of God. That's all he's saying. That's, a, that's even a better privilege. So, so the point is, guys, the, the greatest privilege of all is to know Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. That's better than any ministry that God could give you. It's the same idea as when He told His disciples, His apostles, He had given them authority over demons. And He says, rejoice. Because they would get very prideful. And He says, rejoice not when the demons are subject to you, but because your names are written in heaven. There's many people running around trying to have these uh, ministries where they cast out demons and do all the miraculous. It's a greater thing to know that your name's written in heaven. And Jesus is going to tell that to many people on the day of judgment. Cry out, Lord, look what all we did for you. I even cast out demons in your name. And he said, many of those people, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You may have cast out demons, supposedly, but I didn't even know you. So the greatest privilege, beloved, is to know Christ, to be a part of His kingdom. Okay, That's greater than any ministry. And so, beloved, as great as His office was, and it was, that's what Jesus is saying. His office was the greatest. The role He had. It was just part of His greatness. He was a godly man. He was a humble man. And He wanted to point others to Christ. That's what He wanted to do. Does that describe you? Because it's no different with us. The first thing that made John great is that he knew Christ. Whatever language you want to use, he was converted. He loved God. Beloved, none of this, none of this other stuff on this list 
being a humble man, being controlled by the Spirit, pointing others to Christ, none of it is possible if you, if you have not been reconciled to God. If you have not been reconciled to God, you don't even have, a, you don't even have the possibility of being humble in the sight of God. Have you been reconciled to God? What does it mean to be reconciled to God? You and I are separated from God in our sin. We come into this world as enemies of God. Sinners. Those who are guilty of breaking His law. We have broken God's law, every single one of us. James says if you are guilty of keeping, or if you are able to keep the entire law of God and break just one part of it, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing because God is perfect and holy. And He requires and demands perfection from you if you're going to attain the kingdom of heaven. But you and I both know we're far from perfect. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all used God's name in vain. None of us have ever loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Even for one second, we stand condemned before God in need of a Savior. And that's why Jesus came. To be the one and only mediator to reconcile sinful creatures like you and I, wretches like you and I, to reconcile us to a holy God through His sinless life. See, He did live that life that you and I deserve. He lived it as the God-man. As the man, He lived the perfect life that we could never live. And as God on the flesh, He bore the wrath of God in our place. The very punishment that you and I deserve, Christ took our punishment. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed under the wrath of God for our iniquities. So that He might bring us peace with God. That's what John was doing. The Prince of Peace. He can reconcile you to God. Have you been reconciled to God? Are your sins forgiven? Not what kind of ministry do you have. Are your sins forgiven? Do you know Christ? How do you know that you know Christ? Do you follow Him? Do you love Him? That's how we know. He, he gives us a new heart and a new life. But understand this. If you haven't been reconciled to God, you need to be reconciled to God. And it comes through faith and repentance. It comes through recognizing these things. That I'm guilty. That's why Christ came. He came to save the ungodly. He came to save the unrighteous. And He rose again from the dead, guys. As evidence that God accepted the sacrifice. The song we sang earlier. Justice. God's divine justice has been satisfied through Christ's death on the cross, His resurrection. And now the command from heaven for all of us is to repent and to believe the Gospel. Receiving by faith. Oh, if you don't know Him, if you have not been reconciled to God, call out to Him today, right where you sit. God be merciful to me a sinner. And God is mighty to save. So it begins with that, guys. It begins with knowing Him. And for those who know Him, are you seeking to be a humble servant of Christ? And are you seeking to point others to Christ? Are you, not in the same way John the Baptist did it, but are you, in a sense, preparing the way? And this is what I mentioned earlier, guys. We can learn much, not only from His godly life, His humility, but also from His ministry. There's so much to learn from John the Baptist. And so just real briefly as I finish up, 
This whole third point, John pointed others to Christ. John sought to awaken people in their sin. If you look at his ministry, it wasn't a touchy-feely good ministry. He wanted to awaken people in their sin. To point them to the Savior. That's what will prepare them for the Lord. It's to understand their sin. The, the terrors of the law, right? The law, the law of God is what, is what will bring the comfort of the Gospel. A few of those commandments I went through. That's when we understand. When we, are, when we, are, when we understand the, the terror of the law, what do I mean by that? That the law demands perfection from us. You understand that? The law of God demands perfection from you. If you're going to if sinners are going to try to make it to heaven on their own, let's just say it that way, then you better be perfect. From the time you're born to the time you breathe your last breath, knowing that one lustful thought and you're an adulterer in God's eyes. You see the impossibility of it? But we, we show in love, we show the person, you're guilty. That's what it means. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You have not loved the Lord your God the way He says. You have not given God glory that He deserves because of your sinful life. But that's what brings and makes the Gospel so beautiful is that, look at here, you can be forgiven. There was somebody who obeyed the law perfectly in your place. This is biblical evangelism, guys. Biblical evangelism is not just saying, hey, Jesus loves you. No, it's, it's you've got to understand your sin or you'll never know why you need a Savior. Jesus didn't come to save us from an unhappy life. He came to save us from hell, from God's wrath, from our sin that we looked at a few weeks ago. You shall call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Listen to Matthew Henry. He says, when sin is therefore made grievous, Christ will become very precious. See, when we understand the nature of our sin and how it has offended a holy God and how wretched we are and how dark our sin is and how rebellious it is, and then we're told, but you can be safe, you can be forgiven. And then Christ becomes precious. He would forgive a sinner like me. Yes, He would. He will. No matter what you've done. That's biblical evangelism. We can learn that from John. Do you warn about sin, guys? Do you warn others? Obviously, in love. Do you warn about the reality of breaking God's holy law? But understand this, his preaching was also Christ-centered. Listen to Matthew 3, 11 and 12, guys. And, and, and he's even, he is speaking about repentance and sin and judgment, but listen to how Christ-centered it is. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, speaking of Christ, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove His sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fork is in His hand, and He will thoroughly clear His threshing floor, and He will gather His wheat into the barn. But, the, but, the, but He will burn up the chaff with a glitchable fire. It's all centered on Christ. That was His ministry. To point the people to Christ. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. So many people come up and they think the preacher is some kind of some kind of um, angelic being. 
It's like, oh, if I can just talk to Him. Just a man, just a sinner. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. And then one of His most famous statements, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Beloved, John the Baptist was great because he was pointing others to Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. You know what our attitude needs to be, guys? When we talk to people, we need to talk to people. Even when we share these mighty truths, we need to be a servant and we need to let them know that I am just a spiritual beggar. I am a beggar. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I am a spiritual beggar. And I have found the bread. And I want to tell you, fellow beggar, where you can find the bread. That's our ministry. You see the humility in that. It's not you need to clean up your act and get like me. No, I'm a beggar. And I found a Savior. And I want you to know Him. Beloved, this is greatness in God's eyes. This is greatness directing people to Christ. You understand that? You want to be great? Walk humbly before your God. Walk according to His Word and point others to Christ. Any way you can do it. And you'll be great in the sight of God. Showing a sinner the error of his ways, as James tells us. Making a people prepared for the Lord to make people ready to listen to Christ, right? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. We want people to listen to the Gospel. Not to mock it. And beloved, in closing, do you want to be great in the sight of the Lord? Do you want to be great in the sight of the Lord? Not of this world. Not great in the eyes of this world. We already, we've already seen that to be great in the eyes of the world, some people are just at a disadvantage. Some people aren't big and mighty and strong. Some people aren't rich. Some people aren't wealthy. Some people aren't mighty. Some people aren't attractive physically. But you know what's great about being great in the sight of the Lord? It's available to all. It's available to all. It's available to the strong and the weak. available. Maybe you have. I mean, actually guys, we're all rich, wealthy financially compared to 99% of the world. But it's available to the rich, to the poor. It's available to the, the mighty and the powerful and the timid. It's available to the rejected and the downcast. To be great in the sight of God is to be humble. To live your life according to His Word, and to point others to Jesus Christ. I cannot think of a better example of this, a better picture of this, than Friday night. So it's me, my wife, Shiloh, Rocky, Angela, and Josiah. We're at the Thunder Game with just this intention. Just want to point people to Christ. If you can give somebody a track, maybe God will use that. Save them to stand and proclaim the message of the gospel that you can be reconciled to God. And so Shiloh was on one side of the arena. My wife was down there with him, handing tracks out. And then I was with Rocky and Josiah and Angela. We were down on the other end. 
Angela was across the street, handing tracks out. And I was standing there, and Brother Rocky was preaching. And uh, with a son standing by him, the cross bearer, Josiah, was holding the cross. Are you ready? It says, are you ready? I had already prepared this message, but I thought, wow, what a picture. What a picture of this very thing that we're talking about today. As I, as I stood... I don't think there's a better picture. Rocky was preaching. I think we all know in here Rocky can't talk. But he's got the gospel on his phone. Hits hits a little button. And he's got these gospel presentations and it goes out. Rocky's too weak to talk. Rocky's too weak to hold his phone. So he has to put it on his leg. And the gospel goes out. How sinners can be saved. With the signs stick. With the cross. Fools in the eyes of the world. I thought how foolish we look. Had, a, had an ex-Thunder player walk right by me, about 6'10". Offered him a track, wouldn't acknowledge me. Walked right by him. And I thought, what a picture. That is somebody who is great and mighty in the eyes of the world. Has more money than he would ever know what to do with. Fame, women. And if he doesn't know Christ, what a tragedy. He's going to die and go to hell. And I looked at Rocky with his son standing there. And I said, that is greatness in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for sending Your Son to save us from our sins. I thank You, Lord, that we don't have to be strong and mighty and rich and powerful to come into Your kingdom. But Lord, we just need to be those who are willing to confess our sins to, to You and, and trust in Your Son to forgive us and to save us. And You said whoever... Jesus said, He said, whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here or anybody who may hear this message who does not know You, Lord, who does not know for sure that their sins are forgiven, that they will look to the Son of God and trust Him. He will forgive their sins. Lord, I thank You so much for Christ. Thank You so much for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, help us all to seek to be humble. Help us all to be men and women who want to govern our lives according to Your Word and help us all to point others to Christ today. Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen.